Um, this series that we're going to be starting, we're going to be starting a brand new series called Generosity. And uh, I'll be honest with you, I just want to kind of share my heart before I jump into anything that I want to say. Um, for me, this has been the most convicting, challenging thing that I've ever had the opportunity to prepare and put together and write. And you know, I texted my wife last night as I was finishing up this message, and I'm just like, man, I'm going through this, and I'm preaching this, and God's just ripping apart pieces in my heart and showing me things of lifestyles and habits that, um, that I know that we've got to change. And um, I've been thinking about this lately. I've been to church here for six months, and I've shared this in the very beginning, but one of my prayers was when we first came to this city is, God, help us to be a church that is not just like any other church in town. And I'm not trying to downplay any other places. What I'm trying to say is this. I genuinely want our church to be a church that is for this city and not for our congregation. Um, there's two big differences here, okay? We can have a church that is for itself, and we're all about getting comfortable, and we're all about our preferences, and we're all about what we like. Or we can join Jesus and his journey and the path that he has carved out for us. And we can be a church that is overly generous to this city and genuinely sees this city transformed and flipped upside down. I genuinely believe that through this church and people that are radically saved and people that are radically um, infatuated with God's love, that we can see a city flipped upside down. And so what I want to call you to over these next few weeks is to be a part of that journey. Now, I'm going to be honest with you. Um, church and money don't really go hand in hand, do they? Um, especially when you hear a pastor talk about them. It's like oil and water. Immediately, you kind of start to write the subject off. You're like, I don't really want to hear this. Um, but I want to say this before I get into anything. Um, at our church, and it's been like this ever since we've started the church, when my dad started the Eugenics campus about 16 years ago, um, we have an open-door policy. Anything that you want to know, any questions that you want to ha that you have, or any unknown things that you have, or maybe speculations that you have, we have an open door policy. Just ask. Um, just ask, and we will give you any of the information that you want to know about how we handle our money, about how we handle our finances, or anything like that. But we've titled this series "Generosity" um, or "Generous," and I want you to know that the reason that you sit in these seats today is because a few hundred people at our Jennings and Eunice campus were very generous. Um, you sit in these seats today because people gave over and above to make sure that this church could exist today. Um, in a matter of about 16 months, two churches came together, our Jennings and our Eunice campus, and we raised about $120,000 to start this church. Um, I don't know if you really, yeah, that's awesome. You can clap for But I, I can honestly say, you, this church would not exist today if it were not for the sacrifice and the generosity of other believers that came together and saw something much more than their church building and their box and the seats that they sit in. And they say, hey, listen, we have a mission to reach people and build lives and to plant churches all over Louisiana, and we're giving to that. So like I said... The subject of money in church oftentimes does not go so well, but I want to challenge you this morning, and I want to talk about our treasure. I want to talk about true treasure, what the Bible says about money. I don't know if you know this, but um, about 800 times all throughout the Bible, Jesus talks about money. Um, it's actually the second most talked about thing in the Bible other than Jesus talking about the kingdom of heaven. 
But yet we sit in church and we sit in seats and it's the last thing that we want to hear because maybe you were hurt that another church or somebody, some pastor or some church abused money and it left a bad taste in your mouth. And listen, I understand. I'm not here to pull and twist anybody's arm or anybody's leg and tell you this is what you have to do. Here's what I want to do this morning. I want to point you to what the scripture says and what Jesus says about money. And I want you to go home and allow the Holy Spirit to convict you. And you wrestle with that. And you allow yourself to make a decision based on not my words, but based on the scripture that we go through this morning. So before we jump into any of this, can we pray? Because I really feel like I need to. I really feel like God wants to do something this morning. Father, we thank you for who you are. God, we thank you for this opportunity that we have to talk about just a generous Father. And God, because you have been so generous to us, God, that we have the opportunity to give back. God, that we give of everything that we are because you have given everything for us. God, we pray that this morning that you would do something radical in our hearts. God, that this morning that you would illuminate our eyes, that you would open up our hearts to see God, that you're calling us to be more than just a church. God, you're calling us to be a mission. God, you're calling us to make disciples. You're calling us to be generous people. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. I don't know if you know this, but money makes war with your heart, doesn't it? It makes war with your heart oftentimes. It's a godlike ambition, and it does everything it can to master you because money offers things really quickly without having to have faith. Because if you have money, you can just buy it, right? You don't have to trust and you don't have to believe and you don't really need God. But the truth is when Jesus sees anything attempting to take our heart, he's going to make war and he's going to take an opportunity to begin to say, hey, listen, I bought your heart with a price and I'm going to do everything I can to steer you away from this. But here's the deal. Although finances are important, although generosity is important, you can already begin to feel yourself pull away from this conversation, right? Like some of you, I think there's two arguments in here. Number one argument is this. Some of you are already thinking, I don't want to hear this. I don't want to hear a sermon on money. Like, you're, you're, probably, you're probably here for the first time. You're like, dang, the pastor's talking about money. The first time I come here, he's talking about money. And so you're going, why, why am I here? There's this argument of, I don't want to hear this, I don't want to be here. And maybe you have that argument because maybe you've been hurt in the past. Maybe somebody's abused their power. Or, or maybe you've racked up some debt. And so as soon as I start talking about this, you feel guilt and you feel shame. And you're like, I don't want to hear this. And then I feel there's the other camp. There's the other side that says, you know what, I really don't want to hear this because to be honest with you, I've got everything in order. I give. Tithe, I give to the poor, I give to charities, I, I do all this, I don't need to hear this. I've got it under control. But I would argue that in line with scripture, we all have room to work. In line with what the gospel calls us to, to give of everything, actually to sell our possessions and leave everything, I think we all have room to grow. So regardless of where you fall on the spectrum, I genuinely believe that Jesus wants to speak to you this morning. My hope for this church, for these people, for you guys sitting here in this room, is that God would reveal something to us of what we treasure more than him. What do we treasure more than Christ? You know, money is a good indicator of what we treasure. 
I hope God will free us into levels of generosity that will bring levels of joy that we never thought possible. Listen, my heart beats and it aches for the city. And we cannot be a people and we cannot be a church unless we address this issue. Listen, this series is not going to be easy. It's not going to be easy for me to preach and it's not going to be easy for you to hear. But listen, it's so important. Because of this, God has called us to be a part of this city, and God has called us not to just be another church, but God has called us to make an impact on this city. I don't know about you, but I get sick and tired of hearing about all the statistics. And all I mean, I had probably three or four, five people now probably tell me, why in the world are you moving the crowd? Like, do you know what goes on there? Yes, that's why we're starting a church there. <laughs> yes, we know. Better lock your doors at night because they're going to steal your stuff. Uh, newsflash, they do that all around the world. <laughs> People steal your stuff if you leave it out. Um, here's what I, I want to point you to scripture. Matthew 6, 19 through 21. This is Jesus talking. It says, do not store up for yourself treasures on earth where moths and vermin destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moths and vermin do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. And then verse 21, we're going to spend most of the time in this passage. For where your treasure is, there your heart will also be. So if you want to see what you value, if you want to see what you're passionate about, look at your money. Like, sign into your bank account and look at your statement. Apparently, I really like Popeyes and Burger Zone. <laughs> if you look at it, you can begin to see what you value. Do, do you value the car that you can't afford? Do you value the house that you're spending way too much money on? Money has the unique ability to reveal who we really are and what we're really passionate about. See, other scriptural commands are more general in nature. Whether you obey them or not is more subjective. So meaning this, in Colossians 3, it commands us to have the word of God dwell in us richly. But you could argue, well, yes, the word of God needs to dwell in me richly, but I do read my Bible. I know I could probably get better at it, and I know I could probably read it more, but I do read it. So you could kind of argue, well, I, kind of, I do obey the command, but I know I could get better. Or Luke 10 commands us to love our neighbors as ourself. And we can argue, well, well, I do love my neighbor. I don't really love them, and I know I could probably work on that, and I could probably get better at it, but I do love my neighbor. But money is altogether different, isn't it? It's more honest with us about our hearts than we want it to be. There's not a lot of gray area. When you sign into the bank account, the number is what it is because you did the damage. Right? The number is what, like, numbers don't lie. I always, I hate that. I hate going through and you know, like looking at my numbers or looking at things that I've spent. I'm like, God, what did I do? It doesn't lie. There's no squirming around it. No matter your circumstances or intentions, that number is what it is. But here's the truth. In line with Scripture, in line with the Gospel, those numbers aren't just numbers. Your budget it isn't just a budget. It points to what you actually value. It points to what you actually treasure. What you think this life is all about. So I'm going to make three points this morning. Number one is this. What we spend our money on 
tells us whether or not we actually treasure God. What we spend our money on actually tells us whether or not we actually treasure God. See, you can read your Bible, you can pray consistently, you can show up, you can serve, you can do all those things, but nothing reveals your heart quite like money. See, you begin to look at the statements, you begin to look at the accounts, and you begin to notice that God is not necessarily first. He's maybe fifth, fourth, or sixth. You begin to see that you value what you spend your money on more than treasuring and valuing Christ. You love him, but he's only one of the many things that you love. He's not first. He's not priority. So here's the question that I have today that all of us have to wrestle with. And when I was preparing for this and writing this, this is something that I wrestle with. So I'm not even saying that I'm here. How can people who want to love God and experience his presence love him so little with their finances? How can people who say, I want to give and I want God to do all these things and I want to serve and I want to do this, but we love him so little with our money? The problem is money promises to be God. Money promises is everything God does except you can get it now and without faith. Money promises everything immediately and tangibly. But Matthew 6, 24 says this. No one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. You cannot serve both God and money. Number two, you cannot serve God and money. Eventually, you will drift towards either one. You'll drift towards one or the other. You can't serve both. So, so what do you value? What is your priority? Money is so appealing because it can buy you anything you want if you have enough of it, right? And the truth is we all deal with different sin struggles, but if we have enough money, we can appease them and suppress them. So a few questions. Do we struggle with approval? Because money can buy you clothes where you can get in and you can be approved by other people, right? Do, do you struggle with control because money can buy you security and power? Do you struggle with comfort because money can buy you nice things and make you comfortable? But we know from personal experience in the word of God that these things are lies. These things are lies. Matthew 6, 19 says, Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moths and vermin destroy, where thieves break in and steal. See, Jesus intentionally calls these things lies. The treasures on earth, he calls them lies. He knows they're treasures. He knows they're things that we value. And he's saying, be careful what you buy into. It's like a new product, right? Um, I'm a, any like techie fans in here, like you just love technology. You love like phones, computers, video, all that kind of stuff. Like, I love technology. I've always been one where I can get a computer and ever since I was little, just kind of figure out what went on and just, I knew everything about it. I could break it apart and put it back together and program things, all this stuff. The thing about technology is it's always progressing, right? 
and I've said this before, but Apple does it really well. Like as soon as the, the iPhone 5 comes out, what do they do like two days later? Oh, by the way, you just bought the 5, now you need the 6. And it's like a quadrillion times bigger. And yours looks like so small. We were moving and I found uh, my old iPhone, I think it was, like, it was like the first or second generation iPhone, and the screen was three and a half inches. And I'm like, how did we ever live with this thing? Like, you can barely type on it. But I remember getting it back then. You're like, oh my gosh, this is awesome. And then you look at the phones now, and it's like, hello? <laughs> Are you, you do not need that. Like, that doesn't even fit in your pocket. Like, if you wear this and wear skinny jeans, it's over, dude. But, see, it's like a new product with money, isn't it? As soon as you get something new, it's not enough. It doesn't fulfill the happiness. It leaves you satisfied for a moment, for a few days, and then what happens? You need another one. So you can buy, and you can buy, and you can buy, but you're storing up treasures here on earth that will one day go away. That will one day you can never take with you. Now, Jesus is not questioning whether the fact they're alluring or enticing. He knows that they are. Jesus is just calling them what they are. He's calling them unreliable. The treasures here on earth are unreliable and cannot satisfy you. The things money can buy will eventually leave you hopeless. And we all know the story, right? Ever seen the series on TV, like the people that win the lottery? And, and uh, I remember seeing this series a few years ago. It's all these people that win the lottery, like $100 million. And they would just go nuts with it, right? Buy the big home, do all this stuff, and like two years later, they're bankrupt. Or, or, or the person that wins the lottery and tries to buy their happiness, and like you interview them a year later, and they're like, I'm miserable. Because the problem with money is you can't buy joy, you can't buy peace, you can't buy happiness. You can't really buy relationships. You technically can, but they're fake. You, you can't buy what we're really after, what the human heart was designed to crave and need. Happiness does not go hand in hand with money. Yet, it is still so hard to be generous. Why are we so scared and hesitant to give things away? Why as a church and as a people are we hesitant to be generous? Why is it so hard to give? Because we can't stop treasuring things. We value the things on this earth more than we do treasures in heaven. Well, I mean, let's just call it what it is. The reason some of us struggle with being generous is because we treasure earthly pleasures more than we treasure heavenly pleasures. After time, you cannot serve God and money. You cannot have one or the other. Now, here's the deal. Jesus, I want you to get this because I know there's some people in here that's like, man, this is pretty harsh. Jesus was not rebuking us for wanting treasure or saying we shouldn't spend money. I, I don't want you to get on the, the, the topic of like, man, like, I can't literally go eat out after this. <laughs> uh, that's not what I'm saying. Like, dude, I just spent 20 bucks at Burger Zone, and that's like, man, I'm not being generous. That's not what I'm saying at all. He was challenging us, though, to go after true treasure. 
Jesus is challenging us to go after true treasure and to spend money on the right things. He was challenging us to realize we think far too small with our money. That we're to store up treasures in heaven and some of us are so focused on the here and now. I've got to pay the bills, I've got to pay the mortgage, I've got to do this, I've got to buy the kids soccer gear, I've got to, my son's got base. And you're so focused on the here and now that we're not thinking about being a generous people. We're not thinking about storing up treasures in heaven. Matthew 6.20, again, the store up for yourself Treasures in heaven where moths and vermin do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. Number three, we're going to spend quite a bit of time on this one. Jesus wants you to put your money towards something that has a higher return on your investment. Jesus wants you to put your money towards something that has a higher return on your investment. See, too often we view being generous as losing something, right? We have to give something up. We've got to cut back the budget. We've got to reevaluate the things that we value and say, okay, I'm going to take this and I'm going to put God over my fast food budget. But according to Jesus, when we're generous and when we're giving something away and you feel that sense of loss, we're going to lose everything anyway, Right? Like everything that you have gained here on this earth, you cannot take it with you. They're not a gain. They can't give you what you want. They will fail you. When you die, you cannot take these things with you. Jesus wants to give us a better treasure, a treasure that our hearts were designed and made for. He wants to give us himself. See, we can be generous because Jesus, God, Father, modeled being generous towards us as a people. He sent his one and only son for you and for me, an ultimate display of generosity. He put a longing for eternity in our hearts that no treasure here on earth can ever satisfy. So here's what I want you to know. If you're in here this morning and you're, you're going, man, Pastor Jack, I just came in here because my life right now just is not working. I need hope, I need, I need joy, I need something, I need Jesus. Can I just real quickly deconstruct the lie? No matter what you buy into, no matter how much money you have or do not have, it does not determine who you are, your happiness, your joy, and your peace. As soon as you have a head-on collision with the God of the universe who captures and enraptures your heart, everything begins to make sense. It's not about what you have or what you don't have. It's about having a true and genuine relationship with Jesus. And ultimately, what money does is it blocks that view from the Father. <laughs> because we cannot serve God in money. In the New Testament, God motivates his people to give by reminding us of the future. By reminding us of his promises. Luke 12, 32-33 says this, Do not be afraid, little flock, for your father has been pleased to give you the kingdom. Sell your possessions and give to the poor. Provide purses for yourselves that will not wear out, a treasure in heaven that will never fail, where no thief comes near and no moth destroys. 
It's in store up your treasures in heaven. We can freely give what God has given us away and not be so worried about it because we're storing up treasures in heaven. First Timothy says this, Command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant nor to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their enjoyment, but to put their hope in God, who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. Command them to do good, to be rich in good deeds, and to be generous and willing to share. In this way, they will lay up treasure for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age so that they may take hold of the life that is truly life. So a life that is truly life is a life of generosity. A life of saying, God, everything that you've put in my hands is all because you've given it to me. You know, we claim a lot of times as, as people that this is my stuff, this is what I own. We don't own anything, anything that you have. Even if you know Jesus or you don't, it has all been given to you because God is generous and gracious. Everything you have is not your own. So it's the reason that we give back because it's not ours in the first place. It's not ours in the first place. God motivates us by saying our generosity will make sense when we see the treasures we get in this next life. Listen, we're all eternal beings. All of us. And every act, financial decision, and every decision that we make here on this earth affects our eternity. Affects our eternity. You know what generosity does? It reinforces that this is not our home. That these bodies are not ours forever, that this earth and the things that we own, this is not our resting place. Letting go of things is a reminder for us that we can't keep any of it. Ultimately, this life is a warm-up for the real thing. This life is a warm-up for the real thing. And real life is coming for the people of God. The hope is not that this life will eventually live up to all the hype. The hope is the resurrection that Jesus is coming with a new body, new heavens, and a new earth for us, where we will be with God and enjoy him forever. That is the hope that we have. So we can be generous as a people because it reminds us that this place is not our home. So here's the cool thing. On that day when you die and you come face to face with Jesus... Everything that was lost here in this earth and in this life will be gained in that life. Everything. So here's what I want to talk about real quick. Three things. Generosity to the local church is preaching to your heart that you're part of a family that will last forever. It will outlive any biological family that you have here on this earth. Generosity to the poor preaches to your heart that Jesus became poor for us, that in his poverty we might meet God. Generosity to the nations is hearing the gospel preached to them for the first time. Do you know that there's people on this planet who have never heard the name of Jesus? Do you know that this church and all three of our churches have helped plant churches overseas? Do you know that over last year we built a church in South Africa because of your generosity? Like, listen, 
I come to the point, and I've been, I've been walking with my dad for many, many, many years now, and I've seen the argument over and over and the skepticism over and over in finances. And the truth is, here's the thing. Regardless of what you do when you give, the question is, are you being obedient to what the Scripture has commanded you to do? Regardless of what happens to it after that. Listen, I'll admit, people are they're not trustworthy all the time. People are flawed and people are imperfect. This is why I said earlier in the beginning that, listen, any question that you have, anything that you want to know about how this church operates or where we spend our money or how we use our money or anything, ask. There's a page on our website that you can go to and you can request or you can come up to our audience. We'll send you any document you want to see. But when generosity, here's the thing, when generosity causes you to decrease your eating out, to downsize your home, to decrease your hobbies, you're preaching to your heart that God is greater than all of these things. And that God's greater than your house, that God's greater than your car, that God's greater than your golf love. God's greater than all of those things. You're banking on the fact that God is better. When we give, we're banking on the fact that we're storing up treasures in heaven. Because knowing God and having Jesus is better than anything that we could possess or attain here on this earth. But here's the truth, and this was the truth for me preparing this. As we begin to consider all of this, it's going to be a terrifying process for many of us. Because we start asking, like, what do I need to change in my life to be generous? Like, what spending habits do I need to stop? That, that gets scary, right? The freedom that some of us have. And the reason that we can't be generous is because we're so free with our money. We're not thinking about giving back to the kingdom. Or, or we think about that debt that we have and that we haven't dealt with it. Right now, some of you are in here and you're going, okay, I hear this. I understand what Jesus is calling me to do. Okay, I'm, I want to be generous. But you have that one thing and you're saying, God, you can have everything, but you can't touch this. God wants all of you. All of you. You hold on to that one thing, it proves that money is your master. You cannot serve God and money because everything we have belongs to Him. Quick personal story. When I first got married, well, let me, let me set it up this way. When I first went off to Bible college, right out of high school, went off to Bible college, and uh, I had it pretty good. Um, because I, I was going there and I went there on a scholarship and then all of my dorm room and all of my food and everything was taken care of. So any money extra that I made was just really for me, okay, to do whatever I wanted. And um, did two years of that and then come back, get married, move in with my wife, know nothing about finances, know nothing about orchestrating a checkbook, know nothing about budgeting, anything. Like I was awful. If you would ask my wife, what was the number one argument or fight we got in in our marriage? It'd be money. Like, where'd it go? I ate it. Like, literally, I ate it. <laughs> like, I ate a McDonald's cheese, but that's where our money went. I ate it. We had a budget, but I didn't stick to it. I never really lived within those lines. And then a few years ago, God really began to press on my heart as I saw my wife one day, and she's like, I can't, I can't do this anymore. 
I, I just can't do, we can't live like this anymore. And it was in that moment that God began to press on my heart, do some things, and God began to change some patterns and some things, and I've grown up a lot, haven't I? Grown up a lot. But, but here's the deal. When I had to come to the realization that things had to change, it was terrifying. Because it meant that I couldn't be as free as I wanted to be. I couldn't buy something whenever I wanted it. I didn't do freely what I wanted to do with my money. Here's what I wanted to do in the beginning. I wanted to confess my sin, repent of it, but I did not want to change my actions. I wanted to confess, God, I've been irresponsible with my finances, forgive me. And then I wanted to just keep living my life. But, but, but here's the thing with true generosity. It takes us going, okay, God, what do I value? And how do I put you in a place where I value above anything else that I own and possess? And once that happens, then we begin to take action towards that generosity. Truth is, I didn't want to lose anything. Because I knew it was going to take ongoing discipline and grace from God to do it. God has been gracious to us over the past couple of years, and he's taught us so much, and he's put incredible people in our lives. For, for the first time in my life, I would have never thought of this years ago. When we're purchasing this home here in Crowley, like, I'm on the phone with a financial advisor. Like, what do I, what should I do in this situation? I would have never done that five or six years ago. Ever. But... I wonder today what God wants us to do because our finances are indicative of our heart. They are a reflection of what we value, what we care about, and what we treasure. Truth is, preparing this sermon was very difficult for me. It became clear that I've gotten to a place where I'm giving enough to God just to keep it. I'm giving enough just to go, God, just get off of my back. I gave something, okay? <clears throat> but God has called us to be a generous people. And, and please hear me on this. Because I know people that have heard these things and we talk about this and they just like, okay, I, I want to be as generous as possible. Like, listen, you have priorities and you have responsibilities. Take care of those things first. And the things that don't really matter, like eating out and entertainment, maybe we cut back on those things that we can be generous. Don't give to the church and give to local things and you're not paying your mortgage. That's just stupid. Okay? I, I, I literally, and I won't say names, there was a lady in the Jennings campus who was not paying her electricity bill so she could give to charities. So she could give money away because she genuinely believed if she gave enough money that God would just bless her like crazy. It doesn't work that way. God's called us to be responsible with what we have. But we've got to remember this. We give in light of the gospel, not in light of some imaginary quota we've set in our mind. God's called us to be crazy generous with what he has entrusted us with. But the good news is Jesus forgives you of your irresponsibility. There was grace for me when I finally came to a point of going, man, I am just robbing God. There's grace. 
There's forgiveness, there's mercy. And I've got to say this. In a moment, we're going to get ready to receive our tithe and offering, but I want you to know this. If you're feeling guilty and your first thought is to give God a lot of money so he loves you, that's not how it works. That is not how this works. Okay, it's not me come up here, talk about money, but then we pass and you feel guilty and you drop in. That's not how this works. God loved you first. There is nothing that you can give, nothing that you can do that is going to make him love you any less or that is going to make you love him love you any more. So just because you're crazy generous does not mean that God loves you more. It means that you're being obedient to what scripture calls us to. When it comes to our finances and our generosity, God's people start with grace. You don't start with debt. You start with grace. We don't start with debt. Here's the truth. God doesn't need your money. He owns absolutely everything. But the way to your heart is through your money. And the scripture is very, very, very clear about this. So listen, as our ushers get ready to come forward, we give today. Not because we have to, but because God has given absolutely everything, everything for us. And we've done something within this series that um, we're going to do throughout the um, next few series. We're going to kind of test it, and if it goes well in these three weeks that we're going to be uh, walking through this, and we're going to continue to do it with all our series. On the back of your notes, if you got some notes when you walked in, on the back of your notes, if you flip it around, there is a thing that says practical application. And there's three different questions on there. And under question three, there's some different bullet points of some questions that you can go home and begin to ask yourself. Because listen, there's one thing, like I said in this message, there's one thing to talk about this. There's one thing to feel the Holy Spirit moving on you. And then there's another step to move it into action. Conviction is not good enough if it does not move to action. So conviction and action. And those practical application, this question is going to ask you some hard questions. Listen. I don't want to pressure you to make any kind of decision. What I want you to do is to say, God, what are you calling me to do? If it's not this week or next week or the following week. But God, how are you calling me to be generous with what you have entrusted me with? How are you calling me to give? And then we give out of that generosity. So let's pray. Father, we thank you for who you are. God, we thank you that we have an opportunity to give to your kingdom this morning. God, that you've called us to be a people that are generous. And God, that as we give, God, that we get joy. God, we thank you for who you are, God, what you're doing in this church.